This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman. And I'm Mindariwal. And welcome to The Loop. Min! Min, where are you? I'm... Min! I'm over here. <laughs> I'm in a bubble. I'm you in my really own are. bubble right now. Um, <laughs> Min is currently... You're on the other side of the glass from me. That's Hold it. on. Hand, can, I put, can I put my hand I can't throw glass? things at you. It's triple paned or something. It's pretty it's thick. It's intense glass. Yeah, we are separated. Amazing, though. We can still hear each other. Together, today. but separate. Wow, the power of technology. Power of technology. Oh, man. But we're we're keeping it safe. We're keeping it real right now because, yes. you know, things are a little spooky out there. Yeah, we have to obviously take precautions because of this latest wave, right? That's yeah. Hit everywhere, it seems, pretty hard. Oh, super hard. So, uh, you know, we're hearing about breaking records, hospitalizations, top 700 this week, and our current case sits at around 60,000 people. So um, unlike previous waves, it feels like this time around, everybody seems to know somebody who has gone through it. It felt like there was one or two weeks there where just like everyone on my social media was yeah. like, yeah, my turn. Goodbye. Exactly. It's nuts. And and it's amazing what a couple of, uh, how much difference a couple of weeks yes. can make, right? Before Christmas, there wasn't really a big rush to get kits. People no. were getting them. And now it seems like it's a mad dash. Yeah, it's great. And they're they're scarce. They're hard yeah. to find, right? Which is yeah. nuts because, I mean, those kits are what not a lot of people are able to get PCR testing right now in yeah. Alberta. Um, so even that like 60,000 number is probably inaccurate. Yeah, absolutely it is. And I, I mean, over the holidays, I know, you know, we had family over uh, and everybody was uh, pre- pretty much vaxxed. Yeah. Uh, in fact, everybody was. And some people were even doing testing before coming to just kind of uh, put people's minds at ease. And, and yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't like it was hard to get a test kit. Mm hmm. And we even uh, were able to secure some ourselves. Nice. And um, but uh, it's a different story now. Yeah, I feel like everyone got that initial box, and since yeah. I have no idea where <laughs> the test kits have yeah. gone, you can't even buy them online. Right. And it's it's tricky because this wave is very different in yeah. a lot of waves. Ways, waves, waves, ways. No <laughs> but there's there's a lot of different. We're talking about testing a lot more because mm. we have that capacity. Even though there is a lot of arguments as to how accurate it is, because we're using it ourselves. And um, we're oh, not, absolutely, we're like, not doctors. Yeah, <laughs> I I did one with uh, my son, and uh, yeah. and I, you know I was poking that thing in his nose, and I was like, <laughs> I don't even know if I'm doing this right. Like, is it going even? Is it even touching anything back there or what? Like, yeah. right? As he tried to like not choke on it. It's just like a little booger tickler, yeah, or like exactly. is this a brain swab? But but, yeah. but but I think the one thing that I keep hearing, especially this wave, is just the idea of um, Omicron is more mild, right? right? Or it's not as bad as Delta. And that's because of vaccines and right. because so many more people have this level of protection. And, and so for a lot of folks, that experience is, is pretty mild symptoms. And Yeah, you know, a couple of days. Yeah. And, and even like I've had some friends who have tested positive but had no symptoms at all. Oh, wow. So it's a testament truly to, to the science. And more than a million Albertans do have their booster shot. Yeah. Um, you know, I got mine and it, it definitely blew my New Year's Eve plans out of the water. <laughs> yeah. And you... And you- <laughs> You were mentioning like, yeah, you were done. Well, oh, before I, midnight. it's funny. So I'm a triple Moderna at this point. Okay. I've been Moderna all the way. Yeah. And apparently the Moderna booster gives you like worse side effects than Pfizer is the anecdotal wisdom out there. <laughs> and so- well, um, I'm all Pfizer. We, are you? Yeah. Wow. And I held out for the third one to Does be Pfizer so that- we can be friends still or no? Well, we still have this glass between us, but- um, <laughs> But you know the the irony is that 
every booster shot I've gotten, I, I never really felt a lot of side effects other than, yeah, you know, my arm was sore and stuff. Okay. But this time around, like I got it while I was at work. You know, yeah. I, I, I dipped out. I went and got it. I came back to work, finished what I had to do. And then uh, later on that evening, I felt a little jet laggy. Okay. Maybe is the best way to kind of compare it. Yeah. And then the next morning, I, I felt like I was a little hungover <laughs> or, you know, hungover yeah. combination jet lag, which is not nice. No. And I, oh I just gosh. said, yeah, Kelly, this isn't happening today. Like, I, there's no way yeah. I'm functioning. You were having a, a – yeah. it's funny, though. I think the thing about the vaccines, which is so interesting, is I haven't been that sick in a while. Yeah. Because we're all washing our hands and staying home. Sure. And yeah, me so neither. it's like 12 hours after that shot, yeah. my booster shot, it's like I got hit by a truck. Yeah. And I was Sounds down like for the count for like a solid 12, 14 hours. Wow. And then it like started to go away pretty quick. Um, which is interesting. I mean, it just shows you that it's a vaccine and that you're not actually ill, which is a nice reminder. Right. But uh, yeah, definitely some really interesting booster yeah. reactions. I, f- I felt the there. need to like drink. I was trying to <laughs> hydrate. I thought maybe that was what the problem. Oh, that was, kind of drinking. Yeah, that kind of oh, drinking, okay. not the other one. The yeah. good kind. Yeah, I've, yeah. Not the fun kind. Water H two O. But as as we're talking about vaccines, there is a very striking part of this, which is there's one demographic of Albertans that hasn't been offered or had access to this kind of protection yet. Um, You know, less than 40 percent of kids age 5 to 11 have got their first shot. Mm -hmm. And as it stands, Alberta is in last place in terms of the percentage of people, especially kids who've received a COVID vaccine. Um, So to dig today into pediatric vaccinations, Dr. Jia Hu joins us on The Loop today. Hello, doctor. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So you're a public health doctor at 19 to 0, which is really dedicated to building confidence in vaccines. So what do you make of only 38% of kids, 5 to 11, having that first shot? I'm not too happy with that number. It's obviously (laughs) very low, a, Mm -hmm. a lot lower than the numbers we see for adults. Alberta is lower than the rest of the country, although the rest of the country isn't doing so hot either. I mean, I think in Ontario, it's about 46% having a first dose. And I mean, I think we really need to do everything we can to get kids vaccinated, especially as schools open this week in in Alberta. And, you know, I think that we want to keep them as safe as possible for that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing bad, but it's not like everyone else is doing great, which is always a nice feeling. But uh, (laughs) where, where do you think that this hesitancy comes from, though? Yeah, I mean, I think that we've done a few surveys along with Angus Reid, like, you know, right around the time the pediatric vaccine was released, the 5 to 11 year old formulation. And I think that, you know, there's, there's a few things driving, I'll say, the decision not to want to get your kids vaccinated or to at least be on the fence. Right. One of them is concerns around just safety, right? And I think there's always been concerns around the safety of the vaccine. It's been made, you know, fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's only been around for a few months. But I think people are extra sort of cautious when it comes to the safety of their kids, rightfully right. so, right. I think. Uh, and, you know, I, I think that, that that's definitely one stream. And, you know, I, I think other things that apply to kids that apply less so, let's say, to somebody's grandparents, or, you know, you worry about these long-term effects like fertility, for example, or the ability to change one's DNA. And, mm. and all of these things are unfounded. These are the things that people talk about and we hear about. I think another thing beyond just the the safety concerns, short-term, long-term, whatever, has to do with the importance of vaccination in kids. I think vaccinating kids is very important. Uh, although, I mean, I to be fair, you know, your, your kids... Um, they can get very severe COVID, but it's probably not going to be as bad as somebody living in a long-term care. Mm-hmm. I think parents sort of see that. And so it's the mix of those two things, I think driving a lot of parents to be 
some don't want to vaccinate their kids. A lot of them are just kind of waiting to see, even though, I mean, on the flip from the science perspective, we see, you know, one, these vaccines are very effective and two, they are very safe. The U.S. has given way more vaccine than we have. And, you know, there've been no signals of anything major. And three, the risk of COVID for everybody in society has just skyrocketed with Omicron. And with schools reopening, it's going to skyrocket for kids as well. Can I ask, do you have kids or young people in your life? Uh, I don't have any kids, but I have like many, many friends with kids. Uh, and so, I mean, this is a, I, I have this conversation a lot yeah. with my friends, parents and eh, their kids less so, the parents for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what does that conversation look like for you? I mean, I think that what I try to do is always be empathetic. I think pretty much every parent wants to do the best for their kids, right? Mm. In terms of like the, protecting their health, right? And what that leads to for some, some of my friends' parents they are just like, yes, first in line to get the vaccine. And then you have quite a large group that I think that have been more mm, like, you know, is it safe? Is it effective? E- even the parents, like the people that had no concerns about getting themselves immunized or their parents immunized, asked that, and, you know, should I just wait and see? It's only been out for a few months. I think with those types of parents, you know, I, I think I do you know, try to explain to them that, you know, one, I fully understand that what you're trying to do is best for your kid, uh, you know, and then I try to dispel some of those notions around the vaccine being super new or being not safe. And now with Omicron and schools reopening happening, I'm like, look, one thing that has led to very high immunization rates in Canada has been we've had a lot of COVID and I, I'm quite worried about schools, actually. And, you know, I think getting encouraged to really, you know, if you want to send your kids to school, the more important than masking, more important than cohorting is making sure your kids at least have one dose on board. Are, are vaccines like, is that one dose enough to keep kids learning in class right now? I mean, looking at Omicron and everything is, is that enough? I mean, I don't know if, so, I mean, do I think one dose offers a lot of protection against infection, just getting symptomatic COVID? Not necessarily. What we know it does is it decreases your risk of Ms. C, that inflammatory thing, by 90%, it seems. It likely to significantly decrease your risk of hospitalizations. And so it really protects your kids against severe outcomes. When it comes to whether or not they'll stay in school, I mean, that's more a, it's a function of a, you know, like a parent's risk tolerance to, well, there is a, their need to keep their kids in school versus, you know, like the risk of getting Omicron in schools, as well as actually maybe even more importantly, a function of, our school board's ability to actually staff schools while Omicron is happening, that are having major challenges. But even if that one dose doesn't reduce your risk of getting infection by, you know, like 90% or anything like that, I'm pretty sure it will really reduce your risk of severe outcomes, which I think what most parents care about anyways. Mm-hmm. What do you want to see from the government when it comes to pediatric vaccinations? The one thing that I think that we can do a bit better in Alberta is just make it a bit more available. And so, you know, if we think about adult vaccinations, we had them in, yes, at big public health clinics, which is where the pediatric vaccines are, but also in pharmacies. And, you know, there were some mobile clinics and community groups offered it. A lot of the other provinces have more delivery options, more and more and more places to get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that one thing we can do a bit better is just make the vaccine a bit more accessible. Because uh, I think it's hard for, I mean, there's, there's not that many large public health clinics in Calgary, Edmonton, let alone some of the rural areas. And so making it more accessible, I think, would be good. All we need to do, I think, is do what we kind of did for adults, but for kids, which seems to make sense. To me. Well, a- another thing that we did for adults, too, is the proof of vaccinations. Like I need to show a QR code if, you know, I'm going out for a drink or for dinner. But is there a point where kids may need proof of vaccine and we may see rules around that? I think it's a certainly a possibility. And I think it's really important to, to be specific around where and in what context you need that proof of vaccination. And so if I think about the adult proofs, 
the REP program and similar programs in the rest of the country generally came into effect when our first dose uptake was about 80%. I think they were very effective, the restaurant thing, actually at getting people in their 20s to 40s immunized, not because they were particularly hesitant, but more, you know, you, you get busy, you can't be bothered, right? Yeah. And I think when it comes to school-based vaccine mandates, right now, the only provinces in Canada with any type of mandate, and it's not for COVID, are Ontario and New Brunswick. There's debate happening, I think, across the country around whether or not you want to mandate vaccines for kids going to school. Although I, I, I don't see that happening imminently for any province, including, you know, the ones you might consider more progressive, like Ontario, which has mm. one for other vaccines. On the one hand, I feel like the vaccine hasn't been around long enough. And we haven't like done enough to promote it certainly in Alberta, make it more accessible. And you always want to sort of go through your less coercive strategies before you implement your more coercive strategies. Uh, and so we need to give it a good old college try, I think, before we start <laughs> mandating it. I think another piece around the mandates is one of the key reasons we have mandates for the school setting specifically is to keep kids in school. Hmm. If we mandated vaccines today, probably about like half of the parents just wouldn't, well, maybe not half, but like a good number of parents would just not send their kids to school anymore because it still remains quite controversial. And that really defeats in many ways, one of the primary purposes of having vaccine mandates in school in the first place. I don't think now is the time. There could be time in the future where we do this, but you know, I, I think we do need to make it a lot more accessible and do a lot more education before mandating it. And you know, I certainly don't think Alberta is going to be the first province to to mandate COVID to attend schools. There are different types of activities. Like, do you need vaccines to, let's say, play hockey? And I think what's happening there is different community groups, different organizations are kind of doing different things with respect to mandating vaccines or testing to participate for kids to participate. When we think about the policy tools, like you want it to be targeted and effective and to achieve your goals. And so mandates in kids are like a little bit more complicated than, you know, mandates in, in, in adults, at least were when they were implemented, I think. Yeah. From your side of the needle, like what's different about encouraging kids and their families to get vaccines versus just telling adults to go get their shot? I just think that with kids versus adults, it's back to the, the whole thing around, you know, like people are just a lot more concerned about the safety of those vaccines in kids than they are for themselves, like good for them in a way, <laughs> although it shouldn't be a barrier. I think a lot of people recognize correctly that COVID is a lot less serious in kids than adults. Maybe they don't recognize that, you know, it's still one of the top five leading causes of death in kids under 18 in Canada. And so, I mean, I, I think it's that concern piece as well. You know, I do think that with so much Omicron and with Omicron, probably, I, I, I think there'll be quite a lot of Omicron in schools, like that will actually stimulate vaccine uptake. Whenever we have lots of outbreaks, we tend to get more uptake. But I think it's really just parents are more concerned about safety, less worried about COVID in their kids. You know, dispelling those those myths and those notions, I think is really important. Given where we're at now, I mean, you're talking about ideally people will see the jump in Omicron and it will encourage them to get kids vaccinated. But I mean, given where we're at, if we don't see that kind of uptake or encouragement, what do you think could happen over the next few weeks? I, I, I would assume that any child who is not immunized will get Omicron at some point. Hmm. Like, I mean, and I, I think that that's even prior to Omicron, I think, you know, I'm, I'm part of NASI, the National Advisory Community Immunization, and our default modeling for pre-Omicron, like Delta, was that every unimmunized kid will eventually get this. Yeah. You know, right now, we're mostly at the state where we're trying to prevent severe infection in kids as opposed to actual infection. But I mean, the consequences of having Omicron in schools where you can't really do a lot of things you do to, you know, try to you know, distance or mask, which is a lot harder, is that kids will have it. 
schools have been open for about, what, four days now. I think that really the goal in my mind is to get as many kids immunized, so at least not too many of them experience severe outcomes. If you're a parent, for example, thinking about whether or not to immunize your, your child, the first thing I want to say is like, I understand that it can be a tough decision, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a tough decision, but not to send your kids to school. It's a tough decision whether or not to immunize them. You're trying to do what's best for your child and what's best for your child. And in my very strong opinion and the opinion of many other people in, in the medical community is to give your kids at least that first vaccine. And, and so I would implore you to do that. In classic Alberta fashion, uh, a main topic this week was, drum roll. Yes. The weather. <laughs> sure was. I think I, I did have a really good moment, though. Um, I was listening to Radioactive on, I think it was Monday. Right. And to hear the joy in Rod Kurt's <laughs> voice when he said, it's only minus eight outside. Well, I missed it, but I, I heard that he was very uh, over-the-top excited about the fact yeah. that we were 23 degrees, maybe even 35 degrees <laughs> less cold than what we've experienced for three solid weeks. It's that winter PTSD, right? Like Ridiculous, when you come out of a cold man. snap, all of a sudden minus 20 is lovely, minus oh. 8 is tropical. Yeah. I've it's, seen shorts. Yeah, I've seen shorts too. Yeah, it's... <laughs> oh, but man, it just felt like it was never ending. How did you survive? Like, oh, What did you guys get up to? Just became one with the sofa it was so sad i was inside you can't even go walk like no it was too much yeah i could i mean yeah we both wear glasses disgusting if you had glasses you were out of luck like it was frost you had to take immediately leaving the house and then yeah you take them off and everything's just a little blurry but i hear if you come out from from the cold if you come inside come in backwards yeah then what then the, the the heat doesn't hit your glasses right away that's why they fog up that's probably wrong i mean, I want to believe you, but you're not a scientist. But I, just for you, not next time it's cold, I'm going to walk in the house backwards. And try it. And if I don't fall, we'll see what happens. But but it had, like as you said, it's been a wild ride, three whole weeks yeah. of just unending cold. One of the longest cold snaps that Alberta Bitter. has ever Bitter. experienced. Bitter is a good word. Yeah. And I've, I've been here since I was 10 years old. Yeah. And yeah. That one hit I, different. I don't remember it ever lasting that long I everybody remember, was just moaning about it <laughs> well the one that I think sticks in my memory the most is when I first moved here sure it was January of 2018 okay. and it was like two weeks of minus 40 immediately yeah. after moving here and I was sleeping in a basement on like an air mattress oh my god and it was and I didn't it have all my clothes, clothes. Yeah. so I was just like oh this is welcome you, yeah. to Edmonton no you were like oh my god what the <laughs> hell have I just done sticks in my mind for different reasons um, but now <laughs> we're out of it Thank God. Everything is melting yeah. uh, and freezing again and very slippery. It's oatmeal outside. <laughs> it's good. You love you love talking about the weather like food. Well, it, it doesn't doesn't the road uh, the roads describe like the way the snow is. It's all porridgey and yeah. kind of mashy, right? Yeah, it's porridgey. Yeah. What do you, what food is the dry snow? The dry snow. That's I don't know. What is that? Champagne powdered champagne sugar. powder. Champagne? champagne powder. It's it's flyaway. <laughs> champagne. There you go. Brand new meteorological. You've never term. heard that champagne powder? Never. Yeah, that's what, how they describe it in the mountains because it's oh. so fluffy and flyaway. It's not okay. s- sticky or wet or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, I'll take champagne it. Champagne pow. Champagne pow. Chowder. <laughs> You're not a snowboarder. Uh, clearly not. Um, but I'm also not a meteorologist, right. which is why, because we were talking about the weather, we wanted to talk to someone who actually or knows the experts. more than we do and maybe doesn't always call it champagne pow. Maybe sometimes. 
Yeah. We forgot to ask her that. We didn't ask her that. Um, but Christy Kleimanhaga is a meteorologist and climate change reporter based here in Edmonton with CBC. And she's been working on a ton of climate change and weather stories focusing on the prairies. But she took some time this week to join us on a video call. Hello, Christy. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to have you because I'm obsessed with the weather, but I know nothing about it. <laughs> when, like, when did you and why did you get so into weather and covering it? Well, it's kind of funny because, I mean, as most people are, are when they go into university, they have 8,000 things that they're going to be doing. And, you know, you're going to be a doctor and then all of a sudden you're going to be something else. And I actually got my pilot's license first because uh, it's my family. Uh, my dad has a pilot's license as well. So uh, I started flying and part of uh, that schooling is meteorology. You have to learn a little bit about the weather so uh, that you're safer, I, I suppose, in the air. And I really liked it. I thought it was really interesting. So I switched my major from just regular science to atmospheric science and away we went with uh, with weather and kind of found my way to the CBC in, a, I guess, a different way than some, but it was it was exciting and, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, when you were flying a plane, did you think you were going to be on TV? <laughs> <laughs> Always. But I thought I was going to be on, you know, a drama. (laughs) (laughs) To talk about the weather a bit, right? It's, it is funny, because that's the joke, right? It's like, how's the weather? I think Min and I start every recording just like talking about what it looks like outside. But there's a lot to talk about. We just came out of a heck of a cold snap. I mean, I'm still defrosting. Mm -hmm. Um, It was brutal. Like, what just happened? Like, Do we know what that was and why it stuck around? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's funny that it seemed like it lasted forever and it actually was a fairly long lasting snap. We usually get, you know, a week or so every every winter or every other winter. Um, that one was a good 14 days of really, really cold weather. What we saw is um, the polar vortex. So I know we have heard about this polar vortex. It's, fun name. Um, it's kind of like a weather buzzword in the winter. But yes, uh, the polar vortex was is that low pressure system in the upper atmosphere that's always right around the North Pole. It's there all year round, but it's stronger in the winter. And when it's strong and stable and happy, we're all good. It sticks around it up there in the North Pole, but sometimes it can get a little weaker uh, and it can split, it can migrate and help push that jet stream, that upper airflow that really kind of governs where our weather is. It can push it around a little bit. So what we saw in this last cold snap is that jet stream was much further south than it usually is, meaning all that cold air that it kind of keeps up north was allowed to spill into the prairies, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, so it kind of locked us into totally that. makes sense. Way. Yeah, it's like a bull that just like kind of tipped south and all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, and it just and 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 then kind of gets stuck tipped because things just kind of get a little (laughs) clogged up and that cold air sticks around before things are able to kind of normalize, which we thankfully have been seeing now uh, with that cold snap ending. Yeah, thank God. Thank God it unstuck. (laughs) Well, it did because I mean, I haven't left the house today, but Mim, what's it like outside? Yeah, it's gross outside right now. It's all like it's oatmeal. It's that oatmeal, right? The snow has all become oatmeal and it's sloppy and it's messy. But I mean, like the last two, three weeks, actually it felt like a month was just horrible. Like if I wasn't hearing it from the kids, I was hearing it from my mom. Like people were just like, this weather is brutal. And I think it really, I I felt that it impacted people's moods, right? Um, People couldn't get out of the house and stuff like that. And uh, it was just, it was brutal. 
Oh, totally. And actually, I, I lived for a few years in Yellowknife, and it kind of reminded me of that, that cold that sticks around and just doesn't yeah. leave. It was kind of like a reminiscent of my time in the near Arctic. I guess it's not quite above the circle. But but now we feel like Southern Ontario. Um, like, where <laughs> do we know where the warmth came from? Like, what's going on? So when you think about that jet stream, it's that uh, kind of that west to east flow of air, and it keeps that cooler air to the north and warmer air to the south. So like I said, it was sh- shifted south, and so that cool air was in but it's kind of often waves a little bit so we were on that cooler side and now we are seeing the other side so that cold air shifted off to the east and now we're on the other side where the jet stream is further north which is allowing warmer air to come up so if you think about that jet stream is kind of keeping that air locked in place on either side and whichever side you end up on is where you're going to see that weather either cooler which we did see obviously or warmer right which we're seeing uh, more recently I also want to talk about wet and dry cold because oh, I know Min and I yes. had this conversation. Oh, you yeah. did a whole story about this though, Chrissy, and I was watching it on Twitter, which is so funny. People like, were so mad. Pardon it's, the pun. It's real, it got it is heated. So real. Yeah. It was crazy, but because uh, it is because it's a thing, but it also isn't a thing in a way, right? And so, I mean, can you give us oh, the definitive voice? <laughs> We're already arguing. Right now. Wait, wait. Before we start, though, is it? A, do you guys think it's a thing or is it not? Or which category just- you in? I'll, I'll just share with you this, right? So I've grown up here for most of my life. And, and so um, it can be minus 30 in Edmonton on a sunny day in December and you're outside and, and you feel perfectly fine. Minus 30. And I've been in places like, oh, well, Toronto or Winnipeg even, or even out on the West Coast. And it's like only minus, I mean, in Winnipeg, it was minus 20, but you could, it was going right through you. You know what I mean? Like you could feel the cold in your bones as opposed to like the wind chill or whatever. And even in Toronto, like I think it was minus ten, but it was really wet, and uh, I, if, I I just feel like it's it's the equivalent of being really really cold when the temperature is only like minus ten, minus twelve, but there's a lot of moisture in the air. Yeah, I mean I, I've noticed it in my closet. Like I grew up in Toronto, and like my closet. winter wardrobe there looks so oh. different to my winter wardrobe here. You know, yeah. so there's got to be something, but also like. A lot of things live in my head. So it could be in my head. So like, I don't think it's completely in your head. And it's funny because this this topic is even divided among weather experts. I've had some say, mm-hmm. yes, it's a myth. It doesn't exist at all. And some say, no, it really does. So uh, if we just look at the science of it, I mean, there are many factors that go into how cold you feel. And when you're just purely looking at humidity at really cold temperatures, the amount of water that actually is able to be in that air at cold temperatures is really minuscule. So if you take the two examples that that I was talking about in, in my piece the other week is that minus 20 versus minus 20, which I know you don't get a lot of minus 20s in uh, Halifax or so. But <laughs> still, if you're taking those two, if it's at a 50% humidity, you only have about 0.6 grams of water vapor per kilogram of air. Um, and if you go up to almost 100%, you have 1.2 grams of water per kilogram of air. So, I mean, it's like an eighth of a teaspoon difference. It's so, so small. So that much water really can't make that much of a difference if you're at that really cold temperatures. Of course, mm. when it really, I feel like, makes more of a difference is if you're at that zero or minus one degree because there's a little more water there. And yeah. I think a big factor of it is just if you are staying dry yourself. So if you're... 
Um, if you're damp, if your clothes are damp, then yeah, you'll cool down really fast and you'll stay really cold. So it's, it's a lot of factors to look at. Wind is another one when it's stormy on the coast or in Toronto, sometimes you get those winds howling through and that'll cool you down a little faster. Um, the sun at minus 30 might do a little bit to make you feel a little better. So it might feel a little nicer. So I think there are a lot of factors, but as soon as you say humidity probably doesn't make as much of a difference. Ooh, you get people (laughs) mad. (laughs) People were people were calling it out, which is funny, but it, but it is true. It like clearly doesn't make that much of a difference at those coldest temperatures. But no, the the minus twelves, the minus fifteens that you get in Toronto feel pretty rough compared yeah, to what we do. Here. So it really, I feel like you have to take it temperature by temperature. And yeah. I mean, if you're if you're real closer to the freezing mark, and especially if you're in a situation where it's actually raining or it's foggy or something like that, then yeah, of course, your, your clothes are going to get wet and you're going to walk inside. It's still going to be feeling miserable. It's going to be really, it's going to be really uh, hard to shake that cold. But don't, All right, don't, I'm sold. But don't, I'm on your don't, side. You guys, <laughs> don't you guys notice how it seems like like chapped lips and you're it just feels like they're a little drier on the prairie. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's because the big bodies of water actually help to kind of moderate temperatures on the coast. So you don't get quite as extreme. So on the prairies, if you think about where we are in relation to our major water source, which I would probably be the Pacific ocean, just based on general flow of our atmosphere, it's so far and you have to get past the mountains, which saps a lot of moisture. And so by the time that air gets to us, it is so dry and you just, you can feel it. Um, whereas, if you're closer to that coast, that more moisture-laden air that generally doesn't get as cold as the prairie, so it can hold a little bit more water, might do a little bit more to help with your, I guess, complexion if, if that uh, cold air is really rough on it. Min's really big on skincare, so I just absolutely I like it. it. <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, you can tell. He's glowing. I want to do some rapid-fire questions because mm-hmm. I think that's going to be fun. So I think, Min, can you do like a starter gun sound effect for something? And like, Christy, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm, I'm now. I'm nervous. I feel like I'm about to take a final exam. I hope I, I hope I know them all. Starter gun. What does that sound like? Or how about on your marks? Ooh. Ready, get set, <laughs> no, go. So- Are 14 day forecasts actually accurate at all? No. Hell <laughs> I mean, no. It's not very accurate. You can, <laughs> you can tell general trends, but if you're trying to say exactly what the temperature is 14 days from now, I would be very, very surprised if you could get it with 100% accuracy. What's the one weather myth you love to keep busting? Well, I don't know if it's a with myth, but uh, the windchill one of people saying that windchill isn't a real thing. People get so mad about it. I hate talking about windchill, and I love talking about windchill as oh. someone who uh, frostbit their ears as a teenager thinking they looked cool without a hat on. <laughs> I think windchill <laughs> is very much real. Glad you mentioned windchill because the next one, when you personally get dressed, do you look at what temperature it is or what temperature it quote unquote feels like according to uh, the <laughs> I look at... Well, I look at both, but if okay, so if it says minus anything colder than minus five is a temperature, I will look at the wind chill and dress based on that. If it's below minus five and it's not like howling outside, I'll usually dress for the temperature because it's not that cold yet. Okay. And you mentioned you lived up north. So what's the coldest temperature that you've ever reported? I think the coldest temperature I was in in the north was a minus 46. That's what I remember. And oh. then the wind chill was minus 54. Those numbers stick out in my brain. So that wow. was... That was what I remember. I was not obviously running just to get inside in. (laughs) How often do you get blamed for the weather? 
Oh, all the time. I mean, at least once a week. And it's so funny because it's like any end of the spectrum. It's like, it's too hot. I don't, it's, oh, it's so hot. Why is it still so hot? And then you get into the winter. Oh, it's so cold. Why is it still so cold? And I feel like I do that too. So I, I really can't <laughs> complain because whenever it's, you know, I love to complain about the weather. And I also love to not know what the weather is on when I'm regularly forecasting and getting stuck without an umbrella. It's very peak me. Um, <laughs> but yes, all the time. <laughs> You know, I've been in the business for like 20, 25 years and I've known, you know, some great weather folks over the years. And for most of them, while they were on TV, like they get it all like they get it runs the gamut from the listener or the viewer. And it's amazing how many people will like take the time to like let you have it or tell you like how wrong you are or whatever. Right. Like people are passionate about the weather like it's. They almost it almost take it personally. And I found and I found forecasting, especially um, especially in the north, but really anywhere, it's also pronouncing place names. Ooh. If you're not saying kick taj yeah. the way you're supposed to be saying it, then you're you're yeah. hearing about it. <laughs> so yeah. turning away from weather, I want to talk about climate change for a second. Okay. Because that's a really big part of the project that you're doing with CBC across the prairies, but um, I don't think climate change is always top of mind for folks, especially these days, just because it's not something that we feel affects us every day. So what would you tell people to encourage them to maybe think a little differently about climate change or, or maybe more immediately about it? Like, what would you encourage? That's it's it's a great question. I mean, it's it's something that is difficult. And because it happens gradually, or at least that warm up feels like, you know, one degree or one point five degrees, depending where you are, it doesn't seem like much. So you think, why, why does it matter? But I mean, I think when you look at just the severity of storms and events that we're already seeing, uh, and this year is just a perfect example. I mean, we had the whole ran the whole gamut of that, the heat dome and then flooding and fires and all of these things that just, I mean, climate change is directly linked to. So, and it just keeps happening. So I, I don't know. I feel like if I was able to solve the, how do you, how do you convince people to, you know, to, to not to care or just to yeah. just pay attention, it'd be pretty, it's a pretty hard thing to do, but it, it is more and more evident the more you, you, you just look at what's around you and just, and how things have changed too. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm working on a piece that will be coming out in a little bit more about the changes to the prairies themselves and, and things that are actually happening in, in biodiversity and all of these things, which I'm not a personal expert on, but you, there are those changes that, that are there if you look for them. So yeah. it is really important. And that's why I'm so happy that I get to work on this project because you get to make those things that maybe you don't see just looking very quickly. Uh, you got to make them a little bit more um, apparent to everybody. I mean, you've done some amazing work so far. You've started interesting arguments online, <laughs> which I love watching unfold. <laughs> Me too. As much as I, on that wet, cold, dry, cold day, I just kind of closed my Twitter and <laughs> not look at this anymore. But it is it is nice to kind of, you know, I got I got a feeling out of people. I got someone to care about something. <laughs> the weather yeah. passion came through. <laughs> Christy, thank you so much for coming and sharing some of that weather passion with us on the loop. You're welcome. Happy to be here. The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Darwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John McCommon, and I'm Claire Bonnyman. And of course, I am Min Darwal, and we just want to thank everybody for tuning in in this new 
episode for 2022. We made it. Yes, absolutely. And there's, of course, always <laughs> so much more to know. Uh, you can get into the loop with us every Friday. You can also leave us a rating, a review, wherever you download the show. Tell us what you think. And uh, if you want to get in touch, we have an email, theloop at cbc.ca. You can use the hashtag theloopcbc on social media. Or reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Min Darywal. Pretty straightforward. And uh, my co- my compadre over there on the other side of the glass. You always have to say yours is straightforward. Mine's not straightforward. Well, there you go. Exactly. I guess mine is backwards. Yours is backwards. It's Nami Knob. Nami Knob. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. It won't be hard to find. <laughs> uh, check us out. Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, we weigh in on all sorts of stuff throughout the week. And of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. Go back in Min's timeline to find the trifle pick. Oh, yeah, the trifle pick <laughs> over the holidays. It'll blow your mind. There you go. That's your uh, that's your challenge for the, the week. The loop homework for the week loop is to homework. stalk Min. I mean, honestly, I do it anyways. It was a foot and a half high. What? Yeah. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.